This is not a test. This is your TU broadcast system, announcing the commencement of our podcast episode sanctioned by Urban Picks. Social media comments of class four and lower have been authorized for use during this episode. All other comments are restricted. Guest panelists ranking 10 have been granted immunity and shall not be canceled. Commencing at the space intro theme, any and all memes, including TikTok dances and Among Us memes, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Fact-checking, grammar policing, and Harry Potter fandoms will be unavailable until the episode concludes. Blessed be our new founding nerds of Truly Universal, a podcast reborn. May Ethan, our editor, be with you all. Welcome to Truly Universal, the podcast where we discuss all things Catholic in another universe. And today, like any other podcast I've hosted, I'm excited. But this week, I'm especially excited for this content. You know, we have a lot of things going on in the next few weeks, really important things happening in the nation. You know, a big election is coming up for uh, America, you know, coming up in November. And also, Halloween is coming up. So what better way to intersect the two than bring in a political horror thriller piece that many of you know, the franchise called The Purge. And if you don't know, The Purge has four movies. It's The Purge, The Purge Anarchy, The Purge Election Year, The First Purge, and even a series, I think, on USA, and and you can watch it on Hulu. And, you know, uh, it's an interesting concept. You know, if you haven't heard of it yet, if it hasn't entered into your your circle, the idea is for 12 hours, one day a year, all crime is legal. You know, all crime is possible that you can do and there's no ramifications for it. And the background is that there was this party called the New Founding Fathers, which we'll probably mention, you know, throughout this podcast that said, hey, let's let's use the purge. Let's do it to to release the, the tension that Americans have so that afterwards it's going to be less crime and less poverty and, and less problems. And so that's where that universe comes in. And, uh, you know, controversially, it could be a successful franchise. Um, we'll talk about it more in a bit. But now getting to our panel, who's going to talk about it, you know, we said, hey, who should we bring on for this panel? And uh, two of my really close friends who happen to be political science majors in college and continuing some a little bit in in politics too, and they'll, and they'll talk more about it. So I have uh, Doctor Sean Salvat. Is that the official title? No, we don't. <laughs> I, don't well, I, su- <laughs> I suppose I do. I definitely I, I do have my JD, but um, maybe I would use the title Doctor if I I taught in an, in an academic setting. Um, but generally, lawyers or other JDs who who use the title doctor outside of academia, you know, it, it's generally not done. So Got it. <laughs> I did a, I did a big faux pas. So yeah, no, so I just, <laughs> I'll introduce you first and then we'll get to the second panel. So tell us about it. So you, you, as you said, have your doctorate and, or your JD and you have background poli sci. So, so 
you know, we heard you in, you know, the Famine Fed podcast where you bake bread. We've heard you here for Harry Potter. And I don't know if we talked a lot about your uh, judicial lawyer, policy background. So tell us about it, why you got into it, what you gleaned from it, and, you know, how it how kind of affected your Catholicism a little bit. Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, thanks, thanks for having me back again. I really enjoy joining you and and the other panelists. Um, so I I majored. I chose to major in in political science, poli sci. I went to UC Davis um, because I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to eventually go to law school, and I know that would prepare me. And particularly going to uh, going to Davis. Um, with that, with uh, you know, in a poli, majoring in poli sci, they say that it it, it really helps you to to think. It helps mm. you form yeah. your form your mind and versus you know versus the content. Of course, the content of what I learned is you know is valuable. Um, but really, you could you know you could really open up a, a textbook to learn about um, constitutional law or something like that. Um, but it's really it's it's processing things um and and definitely when i went to law school that's that's kind of all you do um how to how to take apart certain certain situations and then how to make a case and how to formulate arguments using uh the iraq method issue rule analysis conclusion Wow. Well, we we could do definitely do a side podcast on just that alone. I think the world needs a little bit better on that. So yes, <laughs> always glad to have you. Uh, your passion for anything you you've touched is is evident, especially in Harry Potter and Hufflepuff. So um, glad to to bring you here. So the second panel we have on is a fan favorite of Truly Universal as well. You know her very well as Cam. So Cam, go ahead and introduce yourself again and kind of your background in poli sci and and you know kind of that that side of you. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I had to. It's it's too close That's, to Halloween. Yes, but, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, as Ren said, I'm Cam. Um, I graduated this past spring. Yeah, this past spring with a degree in political science. Um, gosh, political science. I never, I tell everyone this, I never expected to get into poli sci. Um, when okay. I was in community college, I was an art major. I just wasn't really interested, I guess, in the idea of uh, political science. But then um, whenever you go into like your undergrad, you always have to do like your intro to political science. And so I took a class. I made sure I could find like the shortest section I could find. And it just came really easily to me. I understood it. It was different than sciences where I felt like I had to study or like math <laughs> where I felt like, oh, like no matter what I do, I'm never going to understand it. But politics just came like easy to me. And so um, from there, I think within a year, I ended up switching my major and I decided to pursue political science. But I guess a part of it was that I just really wanted to understand how everything worked. I want to understand institutions, laws, politicians, the strategies they use. And I think what really stuck with me is that when I took my first uh, political science class, my professor started off his lesson by just by saying, well, everything is politics. And for me, I think that was enough to convince me how important the major was. Because I think when you're in high school and you take classes, it's always, well, when am I ever going to use this? Like he was very upfront and he told us, well, everything is politics. And because of that, I felt like I needed to know because if you didn't 
if you don't know something, if you don't understand something, you're the first one to be manipulated. You're the first one to be easily influenced. Mm. And I don't know. I just want it better for myself. <laughs> yeah. Good takeaways. Good takeaways. I think from both of you, I wasn't a poli sci major. I actually was a philosophy major, but it's very similar. You know, how the idea of, you know, as Sean said, you're kind of, it's not the subject of philosophy. That's really the big takeaway. It's like, how do you learn? how these people thought. And, and Cam, I like what you said, like everything's politics. You know, that's that's kind of the world we live in. We forget that. It's not something that we we just look into every four years when there's a big major presidential decision, you know, something I talk about a lot, you know. Um, but, you know, we talked about poli-sci, our backgrounds, but now let's talk about the intersectionality of horror and thrillers because, you know, this is, uh, this is the melding of the two here in Truly Universal, which I'm excited about. But uh, I wanted to ask, you know, favorite thriller horror films. You know, Sean and I, I brought this up to the, to the idea to him, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to do a horror film on The Purge. And then Sean had this kind of like face, like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, it's a purge. Having heard, like, no, no, like, if you want to consider that a horror film. And so I was like, oh, you're, you're right. I forgot who I'm talking to. So Sean, go ahead and, you know, first off, why do you not think Purge is a, a could be considered a, a horror film in your eyes or, or, you know, maybe I misconstrued that again. Uh, and what would you consider one of your favorite, you know, thrill, thriller horror films? Oh, that's a good question. So, well, personally, I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, um, an expert on the genre as a kind of philosophical subject. However, in, in my universe, um, <laughs> Sean's universe. Okay. Yes, I, the, the uh for a movie to be classified as as a uh, horror um it has to have some element of the supernatural the mm. paranormal um something like that something okay. otherworldly something transcendent um versus a kind of killer known or unknown coming towards you lurking behind the corner I you see. know that's it's 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 just those type of movies are are suspenseful and i could you know i i enjoyed i thoroughly enjoyed the first scream movie um back when it was released um i, I was trying to think was i in high school i don't know quite sure dude you know did if you know the year that the scream the but it had it had a um a definitely impact on me where i'm like i could really appreciate the kind of killer slasher uh, movie but my if i had to pick um i really like the exorcism of emily rose i mm, thought definitely. you know i don't know i maybe that might be more on the the drama and um but i thought it was well written well acted and the 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 themes were strong and and consistent as well as the archetypes um and i think the storyline and and the the portrayal of of finding faith of that journey it it was um and the ending of course because sometimes um horror horror movies you know their endings aren't quite satisfying mm, I, agree. Um, I agree you know because often they leave it open for for Future the sequel yeah <laughs> for the sequel um cough cough saw Cough, cough. <laughs> but, um, but I thought I thought that the ending of that exorcism of Emily Rose was was quite satisfying. 
Yes. No spoilers. Cause I was about to spoil like, Oh yeah, I remember that ending. Uh, if you haven't watched it, go for it. Um, and I agree. I think if you have to, for me, if I had to choose an exorcism moving, uh, it's exorcism of Emily Rose up there, the right. I think I watched the original exorcism. Um, and it's great for its time, but it, it really is kind of more Hollywood graphic, um, type of deal. You don't get so much of those themes of like you get an Emily Rose in the right. So I agree, Sean. I agree. Um, huh. you know, maybe that'll be another, another podcast is on exorcisms. I, that was on the, the chopping block, but, uh, but so Cam, all right, we got Sean. Thank you for your answer. Uh, Cam, uh, we talked a little bit about this, but are you ready for your answer? Um, okay. So I don't have a favorite thriller or horror movie. Uh, surprisingly. <laughs> Sean's face, by the way, the audience, Sean's face was I, like, what? <laughs> I actually really don't like horror movies and <laughs> oh no, Sean's face. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep I, going. He's like, it's okay. For me, okay, it's not the idea. Like, I can deal with pop up scares. I can deal deal with like the suspense and like all that build up. I, I just don't like horror movies because the moment they start feeling kind of like real, I freak out. And I don't know. I don't know if I can like have a night of just not having a nightmare about it. And it makes me like second guess everything. And yeah. To all disclosure, though, like full disclosure, I really only watched The Purge because I was having like a really, really bad month. And my brother was like, oh, if you're angry, don't worry. You can watch this movie. So you know how like people watch sad movies when they're sad? Okay, well, I watched the angry movie because I was angry. And I was like, wow, this is really cathartic. <laughs> that, that is not going to lie. The, my, when I was watching The Purge today, I was like, dude, I, I feel this pent up anger that I didn't know existed. Like, why is this here? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt really good. I was like, I'd like watch someone like, it's like, okay, not saying that I want to like shoot someone, but I'd watch someone get shot and I'd be like, wow, I felt such a relief. Of, like, you know what? They try to attack you. You did the thing. <laughs> Okay, so all right, a little scary answer, but you know, Sean, we talked about this, like the the fear of horror films. You have any advice for our listeners for Cam about like how you deal with horror films and not allowing it to blend into your reality and scare you? I think we talked a little bit about this, like your techniques. Oh yeah, sure. Um, because so when I was in eighth grade <laughs> back in. <laughs> 1994. Don't, um, don't age oh yourself. Gosh, oh no, that's when I was born. <laughs> that's my oh. Great. Oh, oh, that hurts. um, A lot of my classes went to see Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, And and my parents wouldn't let me go. So I kind of missed... Theaters in 1994? Like a a remake? or Bram Stoker's Dracula? No, which one's that? I'm thinking of a black and white one. Never mind. I'm sorry. (laughs) The nose for her on too? No. (laughs) No, The nose for... Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, I was... Movies were in in color... Back in 1994, <laughs> I was actually thinking the Nosferatu. Now I'm sorry, Sean. I, you're not that old. You're not that old. I'm sorry. Thank Go ahead. You. Continue. No, Bram Stoker's Dr- Dracula. And so I, I, I kind of missed out on that conversation that my my classmates were having. So um, I had my parents rent it for me from like Hollywood Video. Um, Rest in peace. Rest in peace. In- and so uh, the only time that I could watch it on my week on the weekend was like Saturday night or something like that. So and I knew it would, you know, it, it may freak me out. So what I did is I pretended that I was 
going to write an essay on the movie. Mm. So throughout the movie, I was I had a little notebook and I was taking notes as if I was you know preparing <laughs> uh-huh. to take them. Yeah. So because it kind of <laughs> takes you out of the story, you don't allow yourself to be kind of enveloped in the story because y- your mind is thinking um, on the more kind of technical aspects. Like I was critiquing costume choices, um, the sound and the music, the the actors. Um, so because you know, obviously, I knew how movies were made, at least in general. Um, so I was I was kind of taking it apart, and if you dissect it like that, then you then it's not so scary because you already are kind of viewing it in the lens that hey, this is this is a fictional story. These are actors. Uh, you know, it's special effects that have that type of thing. Um, but but I will say you won't get that rush. You it won't be as yeah, yeah. fun to watch it. <laughs> That's like you know, you know, because the the rush of like riding a roller coaster is the the thrill or the possibility of harm or death, right? <laughs> people have that. actually died on roller coasters. Shot. <laughs> well, people I'm sure have heart attacks and died in in horror movies as well. So I guess there's, there's that element there. But on oh, yeah. for the most part, statistically, you are perfectly safe riding on a roller coaster. Um, and in the back of your head, you know you're safe. Just in the back of your head, you know it's just a movie, but you it's fun to kind of to be in that moment. Mm, you're right. You're right. Thank you for that. Cam was shaking her head the whole time, but you know, okay, Sean, someone out there, if you're listening, work for me, I've tried that. I watched, okay. No, it wasn't a scary movie, but I did that with Marley and me. And I was just as sad. Like I oh, yeah. actually did have to write a, a paper and I was just as sad. I couldn't separate myself. I was like, what if I was the owner? No, no, no. Maybe I'm too emotional for a scary movie. I missed the part where Marley and me was for a paper. I thought, like, you consider that a horror film? No wonder, Cam. Like, yeah, you, you should you should calm down if Marley and okay. me is a horror film for you. It kind of so, is. I didn't know it was a sad movie. <laughs> so, okay. Got it. So, listeners out there, if you like Sean's advice, go for it. Halloween's coming up. Um, I'm, I, you know, I could press Sean to press, uh, to publish his top 10 movies to watch on Halloween. Oh yeah. Uh, that might be a good one. The con- maybe- the first conjuring would be near the oh, top of that list. Ooh. Ooh, that's scary. And then, uh, we'll have a se- separate segment of cam watching these movies and just filming her reactions. So hopefully if you get if you, if you listeners, if you want that content, we'll, we'll give it to you. Um, so <laughs> now that we talked about cam, let's now let's. Talk about the purge. So we, we talked about poli sci background, horror films, things like that. So let's let's talk about the purge itself. First off, let's just go kind of weird question, uh, truly universal style. Um, imagine that you yourself um, are a purge or in as a citizen in the purge in this universe, but you are like you're not some rich philanthropist or like some like thug with with guns and yet you're just you are as you are. The means you have now. So Sean and, you know, working over uh, uh, at the office and Cam, you're over there too. What is, uh, your, this is, this is your life and you're in the purge. What do you do? How do you survive? Or do you have some pent up aggression that you want to take out on someone and we'll, we'll bleep out the name or anything like that. So uh, we'll start with Cam. Like, how do you, what do you, what do you do? What do you do in the purge? Starting in one hour. Okay. To be very honest. Um, I just know I wouldn't survive. I, I, know myself, 
<laughs> I know my survival rate is really low, but I don't know. I feel like, okay, watching the movies made me really question this because I'd be like, oh, I'm going to barricade a door. But then apparently people can have like chainsaws and I'm like, maybe not. <laughs> So, I don't know. The best thing I have is I have a Louisville Slugger in my car, so that's like a bat. And, <laughs> I mean, okay, I don't have as much pent-up aggression, so I don't think I would be like, oh, I'm going to go out and, like, purge. But I feel like if someone came at me, oh, I would totally swing. Like, I would not go down without a fight. And, I don't know, there's just hasn't been a fight I haven't lost. I guess weapons would change that, but I don't know. I would totally just I, hold on. I, I I heard two things. I heard one that, oh, I don't survive. And then I heard I never lost the fight. So I, I don't know which which side to believe. Uh, but OK, so you, you. All right. So that's Kevin. Sean, you're, you're in the purge. What do you what do you do? Like, what do you purge starting an hour? What are you doing? First of all, uh, well, are we we're talking about um, because just in the purge universe or or a specific movie in the purge because in um the first in the movie the first purge mm, good, good um question. it's lim it's limited to because it was it was the first was, time so it was an experiment it was limited to i believe staten island so yep, if you were off the leaving. island yep. yeah so that would be my strategy if you know uh yeah that would be my strategy for me and my family we would not be in the united states oh, okay at that time we will be somewhere but you on another country. Would you just leave on a plane like right now? Oh no, 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 no! I mean, like obviously, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I would know. Like, it would yeah, like he's on the plane. I would be like, wait, well, wake up the day and look at my calendar. I'm like, oh, it's the third today. <laughs> no, I would. I, I was gonna say, I was like, I would wow, be okay. drinking some some cocktail in Tahiti or somewhere <laughs> like that, or um. Anyway, um, but if if I had to stay in the United States, I would get my all my family together. And if we had not already established our family bunker, where all of our family, you know, goes to and is protected, probably on some I don't know. I was gonna say on some in some wilderness, but you know, but because I I think because I figure that. It'll it'll be concentrated in the more metropolitan areas. Yep, you know, that makes sense. You know, in terms of the people who you might encounter, I'm sure you'll encounter like murderers and stuff out in the mountains, but there'll be less of them to deal with. Um, or, and then this isn't this isn't really shown at least in uh, the other Purge movies, but it was in the first Purge. The first Purge titled so not not the not the first chronologically uh movie released yep. but in the first purge movie um there was like groups giving sanctuary you know that they went to the church uh, this church but which was you know but people came in and, and shot everyone up but <laughs> i imagine I imagine, however, that if this was an ongoing thing, there would be organizations that provided a kind of communal sanctuary mm -hmm. for people to keep people at least as relatively safe and secure as possible. So I would probably be associated and go to that. Yeah. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. Like I think in uh, the purge election, there's like a EMT person that actually goes around and she was like an ex-purger, Lani, I think. And she's like actually helping people and, and doing that. So I can see that being yeah. altruism. Uh, for me, you know, I, I thought about it. I, I think it's kind of funny, but like if I'm in a safe place, I'm like maybe I chill in like Sean's bunker with his family and my family and we, we group together and I get my laptop and like download as much illegal music legal movies i mean like might as well just okay. take advantage i'm just, I'm just like, gonna download limewire all over again yeah. and get some viruses <laughs> yeah you would save so much you know a lot of, a lot of free music so no, that's my my facetious answer I, I i would probably do something similar sean i wouldn't participate i would just hunker down and, and survive as best i can but uh, but that brings me quick. You know, you kind of touched on it, Sean, a little bit about like, oh, it's it's going to be in the suburbs. It's it's gonna, you know, there's not going to be as much in in the country. But I think one of the themes that the purge talks about is why the purge happened, and and that's a big thing that the uh, writers really pushed on was, hey, the purge, the end, the new founding fathers of America felt like this was a great way to lower poverty, and you know, kind of it it wasn't the whole purge per se that they that they uh wanted in terms of cleansing, cleansing, cleansing and getting rid of the aggression. It was like, Hey, how do we get rid of poor people is what the, the movie hints at. So um, for you guys, you know, you know, what were some themes that, that really stuck out to you? So maybe Sean, like what, what was kind of like your top theme that you kind of took away from the purge that was like, Oh, okay. You know, I'll, I'll take that away. Oh, there are many. Um, okay. Let's okay. Let's go top, top few. You can use, <laughs> don't leave some for cam though. Sure. <laughs> Well, first, you know, because I kind of, I, I'm, I'm Catholic, I have, and, and I have a particular love for the liturgy, um, and, and my kind of uh, background in, in catechesis and in catechist formation revolves around sacramental theology and liturgy, that I kind of, that's the lens I kind of view, I, I view things. So there's actually quite a lot of liturgical elements in and in the purge and elements of ritual in part because you know we're human beings we have bodies where the matter matters as it were and 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 we're and the incarnation and our faith our faith is incarnational so so things like you know things that i picked up right away are those uh those blue flowers that Mm. were present in the first purge and people put out in subsequent purges um it was meant to represent new birth as a sign of new birth, new beginnings. Um, there's that that voice over, you know, that kind of that signals this is not a test. That kind of signals the start of the purge, and and the voice, you know, after saying this this ritual speech, ends with something like, um, "And may God be with you." Mm, yep. Right. So even drawing in like explicit theological um language. Um and it's and you and you and you see it and it, it makes reference also in, in the first purge, the movie The First Purge, um about people wearing masks. And I'm like, I and that's what it really it kind of it hit me. I'm like, ah, there's you know, there's a there's there's costuming. Right. There's almost vestments and you see the vestments quite explicitly in um, in the cathedral scene in, from the purge election year, if I recall, um, mm-hmm. when when 
which which leads me to my my second my second theme but to finish up with the the ritual elements about about the mask that and and the commentators wonder are they wearing the mask to because they're ashamed or is it or is it they're seeking glory and often the mass are are like have some animal quality to it um which is interesting because mm-hmm. the purge itself the act of it is going to a non-human animalistic part of you know of our fallen human nature yep yep um so in in the purge election year the movie um the the senator who and presidential candidate if i recall rowan i believe who is running to be president to to abolish the purge she's taken captive and taken into this cathedral of the which used to be i did a little bit of research it used to be saint anne's um saint anne's church in i believe rhode island oh wow okay and catholic church um and the and it was it was the the the, the diocese or archdiocese couldn't couldn't maintain it, so it was sold, and it's now a kind of arts center, if I recall. But so it, they're they're taking her into this this space, this ritual liturgical space, and I believe one of the the uh, the new founding fathers is dressed up. In, in some cassock of sorts, in actual vestments to perform this sacrifice. And so that would be my other theme, sacrifice, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, my, my top two. There's, there's also, you know, commentary about um, uh, e- economic inequality. Mm-hmm. Classism. Yes, about power, about the role of the state, which, which we may get to later. But... Um, but but sacrifice and liturgical elements were my kind of what stood out to me at first. So sacrifice, it's interesting because in the the purge, the original purge, the homeless man who found refuge in the home of a guy and his family, and then the guy sells um security equipment to upper middle class or high income families he is being sought by this this group of preppy purgers out oh, polite uh, polite purgers by the way <laughs> i think that's actually his, his name polite purger polite oh well well indeed <laughs> i guess he will uh anyway he says that Homeless people, and he talks about them in very, you know, derogatory terms. But their purpose is is to be the victims of the purge, and after that, and follow, and you know, following that purge, memorials happen, which thank the people who died for their sacrifice. And I thought that was interesting because their sacrifice in the minds of the the government and the people who participate in the purge is that they help to contribute their deaths, help to prevent more death, help to uh, create a 
a better nation, a nation and with people who are reborn as symbolized by those blue flowers, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. So I was thinking about, about sacrifice and what it means to be, to, to be a martyr um, and a self-sacrifice that you willingly, that you choose to do versus a sacrifice that is done upon, you know, that you really had no control over. So I was, I was thinking about those this week or in the last couple of days. Um, so those are my two themes that really stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that in the, the first purge, like it's so interesting. You see how, you know, the, uh, was it the Sandins, Sandins family, mm. Sandin, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, family, like they go from like, I don't want anything to do with the purge. I want, I, you know, I support it. Like there's even a scene where like the, the father, I think James talks to them outside the polite purger. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't, I, it's not, you know, we, we respect the purge. We support you guys just don't involve us. And it's so interesting how then they turn around and start to like beat on the the homeless guy that comes in and they're like, we got to We got to turn him in. And then the kids are like, oh, we're, we're just turning into what we, you know, don't want to be. Um, and then, so there's a moment then where the homeless man, the stranger, I think I forgot what the, the, the actual, they actually call him the stranger in the first one. Um, it changes. Like, he's like, okay, just, just take me out there. Like he starts to be willing yeah, to be. That's sacrificed. right. He, that was a part where he goes, I, I will be the sacrifice now because, you know, because they're threatening this guy's family and his kids and his wife. So that's when he, he says, yes, make me this. I choose to be the sacrifice. Go ahead. Take me out there so that they could take me. They could kill me and leave your family alone. And then instead, and then the James is like, no, it's okay. We're not, we're not going to sacrifice you. Let's go. We need, we have 25 more minutes left in this film. Let's make it juicy. And then they, they <laughs> fight. And, but yeah, no, I, I agree that that change in sacrifice when it goes from self-imposed rather than uh, imposed upon oneself, imposed on another, it's very different, right? It feels very different. So uh, Cam, any, any other themes kind of, or anything else kind of stick out to you? You know, we talked about. I want to, I want to get back to the whole like religion and ritual and, and government and, and things like that. But you know, anything else that you, you thought of as you were watching these? Okay. So the first time I watched the purge, like I just, I honestly like, wasn't at that. I wasn't at that part of my faith journey yet. Right. Where I would have not like seen the symbols and so on, but I think rewatching like purge election year, like I was so just shocked. Like I didn't know what to say because yeah, like the moments were like, the, like they're brought into the cathedral the whole time my mouth was just like what the heck is going on because like the language was so like it would just take the words and just like change it right so they were talking about how like the weapons they were cleansed with holy water and then i was like oh yeah because that makes things better <laughs> <laughs> and then like when um they were like purge and purify and i was like oh oh well, okay then well where'd you get that um, like, yeah, when they were like chanting it, I was like, hmm, when the Lord said to purify my heart, this was not it. It was purify my heart, not puncture it. <laughs> like, what is going on? But yeah, and then like seeing, um, seeing that guy wear like the vestments. Yeah, I did start to like understand it being like this ritual, right? Because when they said it was like, oh yeah, um, they're going to see the purge mass i was like okay like i didn't really think about it but then when um when the lady was all tied up i was thinking about it when the senator was tied up and i was like oh shoot 
Oh no, I know, I, I know what's going on. It all, I all, I remember everything now. And it was like crazy because it was kind of seen as like, oh, um, like when the first guy was brought in, they were talking about like, oh, he's a drug addict, blah, blah, blah. Like he's asking for forgiveness. And it was like, oh, so he's asking for forgiveness, but his sacrifice, like, because now he's, he's seen like the, he's seen the ill of his ways, right? Now we have to kill him. And I was like, um, hmm, lots of, lots, lots of mixed emotions. I'm like, is this what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is okay. Well, we wouldn't have killed you if you were just wrong. If you what you were doing was wrong. But now that you know what that's wrong, and you're asking for forgiveness, now we gotta kill you. <laughs> like, I was like, totally, totally on the It's like, why am I even gonna try to be better if I was him? But yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the things about about this, and I want to talk a little bit more about it. Is obviously as America and our history, um, religion, uh, specifically. Uh, more of the Protestant Puritan religion, not necessarily Catholic, right? That's kind of been the um, the found. Or you, you guys are the poli sci majors and the the background, so they talk about the new founding fathers, right? And they intersperse religion into it, and even in our constitution, they talk about God. Um, so, you know, what is that? That seems to be a big point. Is like, what is the intersectionality of religion and government? You know, and then purge kind of flips on its head. It kind of shows like, wow, look at what God, religion, rituals is used to justify something so vile. Um, you know, how do we how do we kind of take that apart and be like, you know, because some people in real world, let's pull ourselves out of the part purge in the real world. Look at it like, you know, why is God being used as a justification for, you know, this party or this candidate is using God in this name and. You know, and then people are like, God, you know, is this really what God would want? And then we see this kind of, kind of, uh, what do you call it? Dissonance, as we said. So how do we, how do we pull that apart and, and be like, no, this is kind of not what they mean or, or yeah, you can kind of do this. So, um, Sean, I want to lean on you a bit. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? Okay. First of all, you brought up um, many different issues and and topics. I do that a lot. I do that a lot. Um, but I'll, 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 I do want to mention that one of my poli sci professors, one of my favorite, my, my favorite poli sci professors, he, he said that, um, or he, he argued that to affect change, there needs to be a death. There needs to be bloodshed. Um, he, he referenced even, even Jesus on the cross saying that Jesus, you know, this was in a poli-sci class at, at, a, at a public secular school. Um, well, I'm sure he was taking Jesus as either a historical figure or a character in, quote, literature. Um, but regardless, he was saying that Jesus had to die on the cross to affect change because the change that he was trying to make required it in fact you know the 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 executive branch the exact the the one who who has that executive power has the power to execute he kind of he 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 really related that and to see and 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 it's interesting you know in taking taking a look at the american revolution taking a look at the civil war where bloodshed happened um 
but there are many but there are, there have been many other instances where change happened for example in Poland and not and not a, shing, a, a single shot was fired um and you see and you see um John Paul which is it's a whole different topic I won't get into it but John Paul the Great's uh, Pope John Paul II uh Saint John Paul he his um his action in Poland um particularly and the solidarity of the people um brought and and their their hunger for faith for religion for god brought about deep and dramatic change in the country so it is possible uh for change to happen without bloodshed but with bloodshed you know the the sacrifice that that imagery of sacrifice that i that i mentioned um it's it's part of our constitution because our constitution was born in and of sacrifice in and of bloodshed the and when our 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 constitution was made i believe it was john adams who said that it was it was made for and by um but a a moral people and it is unsuited for any for a for a people who did not have a grounding in morality, mm. um, Archbishop Chaput in his book "Render Unto Caesar" um, says something similar. He says um, the secular, our secular government, it depends on virtues that it cannot generate from within itself. That we need virtues, the virtuous people can govern ourselves in this American experiment, you know, mm. with democracy, um, because otherwise, uh, without that virtue of the, of the populace, uh, things could go wrong and things could go wrong bad and, and quickly. Interesting. Um, but so too, and your last point about how people kind of use God either in their political messaging in their campaigns and things like that. Um, well, first of all, I, be I believe the many of the American people want their, you know, want their president to be a person of faith, um, to be a religious or have a religious background. Um, whether you know, I don't know how strongly that is today, oh, yeah. right? But but that's that's kind of been what we know. That's kind of what's been happening for you know for for a long time. That the people who have been presidents have also been people of faith. Like like you said, because there's this assumption that oh, the person of faith should have that virtuous background that should lend itself to proper leading. Again, should. But sure. Exactly. Um. So it it kind of the and if you want to signal that, so you mention God or you mention some religious imagery or language, um, in your messaging. But other than that, you know, when you know when people try to use God or religion as a, I don't know, a token or a pawn or something superficial, rather than you know 
are all in all, right? Mm -hmm. I think it comes off as inauthentic. And hopefully it doesn't, it's, it doesn't, it's not as effective as it should be, as it could be. Interesting. And uh, I want to ask Cam too, because Cam, you know, you, we talk about your background as when you, you weren't exactly, you know, in the faith <laughs> and then you, you started your kind of like political poli side career and shifted away. So any, any comments on that from your perspective of what Sean was talking about, you know? Yeah, I think it's kind of hard because I feel like just in general, people, people tend to perceive like religion. Yes. One of two things, right. They either present it as somewhat as something where it's like, Oh, like, because this person has faith, it means that they have, they equate that to like good morals and good values. Right. But on the other hand, like, I feel like, like what Sean was saying, like people can see it as like a token, you know, like, Oh, you're the token Christian guy, right. Who believes in all these things and is going to fight for whatever, whatever. But I feel like it's kind of hard because people are, from what I've seen, people are sometimes kind of like split towards split in the middle, right? Like they want someone who has good morals and values, but it's, I think, especially in the past, gosh, I'll say like even the past like 10 years, people have really taken it where it's like this extremism, right? Like they expect like, oh, like you could be a good person, but saying that like, oh, someone's like this good Christian woman can also now be super construed to be like, oh, now she's like, a super conservative, like fighting for A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Like it doesn't leave much room to be moderate and it doesn't allow for much separation where people want like, yes, a separation of like church and state. But on the same hand, some people are now understanding that as like, oh, if you're of faith, then you can't really separate. You can't separate those two things. And that makes people like question their morals and their judgment and their decisions. Like, oh, are they going to prioritize like what their constituents want versus like, oh, they're here for their own moral political agenda. And so like that's something I could say I really witnessed and experienced a lot um, when I was involved in campaigns because people sometimes would ask like, right, like, oh, like especially if they were really like outspoken about like if a politician was going to mass, right? Like we have some people who are very open about that, such as like Nancy Pelosi, right? People know that she goes to mass on Sundays and they know that she shows up, right? And that can mean so many different things to different people just based on their own experiences. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think, yeah, that's actually a, you know, a big, big topic today, especially with um, Supreme Court nominee um, Amy Barrett, you know, who's a very ardent <laughs> Catholic, but, you know, right away when someone says, oh, they're Catholic, they, you know, people already have assumptions about who they are, what they are, and it paints them in the picture. So, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Wait, does it, though? Because Nancy Pelosi identifies mm, as Catholic, and so does um, Joe Biden. That's true. So so what, tell me about that, Sean. What, what makes it different? Why did, why did, you know, why does it feel like this Supreme Court nomination is gathering all this assumptions, but people have been Catholic. They kind of, I'm not, I don't know if the word is past, but they, they get a, get of a, you know, they're, it's different. So what, can you tell me about that? Like, what's your opinion on, on why is there a difference? That's a good question, Rance. Um So the, the difference, how people view um, the Catholicism of 
Nancy Pelosi and Joseph Biden versus someone like Amy Coney Barrett. And, and often I will say that it seems to be um, a, a perception on the on the left, on the progressive left, that um, that Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, they are more acceptable because you know their Catholic identity uh, is perceived by some to not influence their uh, their policy. Mm, okay. However, people are suspicious that of people like of like Amy Coney Barrett, um, that they feel that their faith is going to her faith specifically um, is going to influence how she how she delivers um, judgments as, as, as a member, as a justice on the Supreme court. And they, you know, they, they look to things like her, her large family, like her involvement in the people of praise ministry. Um, that, that it seems that Catholicism in the life of Amy Coney Barrett seems to be um a bit more evident, a bit more practice other than, you know, going to mass, particularly on, you know, the, the major liturgical holidays um, and maybe getting, you know, ashes on Ash Wednesday, something like that, that in the life of Amy Coney Barrett, as, as Senator Feinstein famously said that, you know, she, according to Senator Feinstein, she believes that the dogma lives loudly in her. Um, in 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 that and and that's expressing that suspicion that I was talking about, uh, but but it's also the suspicion that people had of President Kennedy, right? This mm. sort of you know because you mentioned about the um you know the the Protestant foundations of our country, people were concerned back you know. With you know, we had the Know Nothing Party. Um, that that the Catholics would be faithful to the Pope. Well, and they called it Popery and the mm. Papists, right? And there are anti-Papist laws and things like that. I actually remember that. That I, I actually remember this initially. Thanks. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Bring you back to what, like yes, seventh, eighth grade. Um, yeah. The. And you know that the and even in Maryland and Maryland was you know um, founded mm-hmm. by Car- no no not John Carroll John Carroll was the uh, Carroll was the our first bishop but uh, Lord Baltimore right the Baltimore family that you know he was a a Catholic right um, it's supposed to be this haven and even in Maryland they had at at some point. Um, anti-popery laws which however they which in catholics couldn't vote if i recall um catholics however can practice their faith privately but not publicly um and you see that kind of suspicion now and it's that same suspicion that that president kennedy faced um that well who's going to be calling the shots do you have a mind of your own or are you somehow obedient in a kind of lockstep fashion with with whatever Rome says right and um 
and and Archbishop Sapu in in his book Render Unto Caesar speaks of of that in in America's history and how Catholics in America actually had to feel like they had to show themselves. But no, I could be strongly Catholic, but I could be um, deeply American and deeply patriotic. And you know, exactly. patriotism is is a virtue. Um, so anyway, so that's that's kind of where I see and how people, you know. It, perceive uh the 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 practice of the faith um of of nancy pelosi and joe biden versus amy coney barrett yeah i think even just to piggyback on that i think one of the reasons i want to say that like she's getting you know especially under fire um when it comes to her faith is yeah like that loyalty right of like oh is she going to be a like american like she's gonna lean with her American values, or is she going to like be loyal to the church, right? And I think one of the biggest factors when it comes to it, like if we compare it to even just Pelosi, right, who's also a woman who's also Catholic, right, is the idea of what the seat is, because the seat is for a Supreme Court seat, and especially because they're in charge of. Um, with legislation, like, and they know that Supreme Court cases are harder to overturn, right? To even get up to that level, I feel like that also plays in the plays a part in why she's so like criticizing it because they see it as well. Let's say she goes and upholds her Catholic values, right? We're not. Even, I think that's just really bizarre because we're also like forgetting the fact that there are other Supreme Court justices who are also Catholic, but. I think they're seeing it as like, great, here we go. We're going to have another Catholic person. We're going to have another person of faith, right? And now it's now all these cases and whatever happens, it's going to have this level of permanence. But I feel like it's also just shaped by like society's views nowadays on people of faith in general, right? Like, I think like the views towards it used to be like, oh, hey, now they have like this moral compass. They have these expected morals and values. But now it's seen as like, well, now that there's a level of permanence to not only their seat, but also the legislation that they pass. Now it's like, okay, we don't like how things are going and we can't let this happen again. And if she's following in this pattern, right, this so-called pattern, that's not okay. And this isn't okay. And it's really hard, I think, to say like, oh, like, well, she shouldn't be under fire. Because I feel like no matter what seat you have, whether it's a local seat, or even all the way up to the presidency, like, you're going to get under fire for it. It isn't so much of like, oh, she's being criticized differently, as much as it is, I think, People, it's very prominent in people's minds because it's an active conversation happening now. Like people forget the historical roots of sometimes yeah. of other politicians and other candidates who have also gone through similar criticisms and similarly under fire. I, I think that's a good point. So I think that another thing regarding uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett is that. You know, you're talking about her her loyalty. Will she vote? Will she not vote? But will she decide cases as a Catholic or as an American? Well, I think what what you're really getting at is like 
will she judge cases on the con- on the Constitution as, as you know as justices are so- supposed to judge judge cases? And you know you you know there's talk about what, originalism and what is that um, versus a kind of idea of the Constitution as a kind of organic living document, um, but. Cam, you, you bring up a good point about the other justices on the Supreme Court um, who are Catholic. Like, um, I believe Justice Kennedy identifies as Catholic. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was Kennedy who wrote the, um, the, whole, the, the opinion, the court's opinion in, in the Obergefell case, right, that that legalized same-sex marriage you know, throughout throughout the United States. So, but no one questioned is, is Justice Kennedy. Kennedy, by the way, who was appointed by President Reagan, right? Um, no one's no no one thinks Kennedy was able, you know, is a pawn of Rome doing whatever you know the Pope wanted him to do, right? No one thinks that. Why why is it that people have you know? Are, are having a harder time accepting that uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett would. And I don't I know. Like it's playing a numbers game, you know, because I'm looking it up right now and it says, yeah, five of the justices are Catholic and three are Jewish. And I feel like they're playing the numbers game of like, well, if like we have another person, like it's going to throw off the numbers, you know? I feel like that's part of the reason why, like, people are so, like, adamant about it, because it's true. Like, did everyone else who was Catholic, was that, like, a concern, you know? But I feel like especially, Uh like, today's views on faith and religion and, I mean, the increasing heat on the church, especially in light of recent events, I feel like because of those things, yeah, like, it is becoming, like, more and more... Um, more and more of an issue, right? More and more of a concern. I think that's the thing with with um, people of faith in general. Um, I remember my first uh, philosophy class. I took philosophy for a um, uh, in at UC Davis for like a prereq, and then on our very first our very first uh, um, session, the TA says. Uh, how many of you are brave enough to admit that you're a theist? <laughs> not that if you're not, not that you're a Catholic, not that you're even Christian, but a theist, a belief, believing in God. And that was the, you know, that was the thing where people had to kind of look around the room and see who had their hands up. You know, that was the controversial thing. Um, well, so what was the point of that? that? Did, what, what was his point afterwards after he calls out the theist? Did, was it? Well, I mean, because well, our our that that particular philosophy instructor was um, was I believe on the you know on the atheist side. Wow, I see. Um, that I mean, he did he like he did talk about you know of course you know because it's like intro to philosophy. He did talk about like Saint Anselm, Saint Thomas Aquinas, and then he then he showed then he gave then he showed why they were wrong. You know, <laughs> right? Of course. Um, but I think, I, I think particularly, you know, that, that we come from, from that, that perspective, not, not just that from that kind of philosophical background, but from that community. And, um, 
And I think that's one of the things that, you know, that is that I find troubling um, that there's a lack of community that we don't have strong communities in the United States. And I I foresee that as having a disastrous impact on our country. Interesting. So I actually want to shift because I think what I'm really enjoying about this conversation, and again, it's very different from our other truly universals is, is we're kind of hitting close to home about, about these things is um, my take on everything we're talking about is that, Hey, what we just had is just this conversation, Sean, Cam, myself, like 15 minutes on kind of the intricacies and talking about, you know, the, the Supreme court nomination process and Catholicism and politics. And I think my fear is that today in this, in this world, there's no room for this type of conversation or dialogue or even um, discussion. You know, I think we've, we've talked about how, you know, how are people getting their political science understanding? Now, how are the people getting their news and it's through social media? So I want to shift gears a little bit uh, from away from more of the purge and talk about maybe our real world a bit more. So, you know, Cam, Sean, you know, what are your takes about, you know, everything we talked about? What do we feel like the landscape is that leads to this kind of um you know, single point views on, on someone just because they're Catholic or like you said, the lack of community. What are some things that are, are leading us as a as a nation, particularly America, down this path? I think you you kind of brought something up. You talked about where people are getting their political their political beliefs from, you know, we call that their uh politicalization, right? And normally uh, okay. normally okay. historically it's been done in the family, you know, as the, you know, as the cell of society, like that, the smallest unit of society in the family, that's kind of where people had their, their start. And, and then, you know, that could change as you grew up and you have experiences and gain knowledge and things like that. But it starts in the family. And, you know, I'd be interested, Rents, as well as Cam, to, to find out how, how you were, uh, came about your your political beliefs and was it in the family or was it you know politics wasn't discussed in the family and so it was later when you you know were exposed to classmates or things on social media that you really start to think about and form opinions about these issues so i'm interested but what what's your kind of background on that yeah i think like for me um i mean politics in general was just something that was really openly talked about in my house um my dad always had really conservative views and same with like my grandpa and then my mom I mean as time went on I think she took a little bit more liberal views but on the same hand like she was kind of just learning right and so I never really saw it as like a taboo subject I was just kind of like okay it's just something that they believe in right I took in different perspectives I took in the perspective of like my parents both being like immigrants sure they came here at like a young age but i mean at the end of the day like that still shapes your views right and then for like my grandpa who like heavily influenced even like me getting involved in politics he was a world war ii veteran right so then i took on it's one of the reasons why when i look at candidates i really look at like especially for like the presidency i look on the roles of like what is your experience as far as being commander-in-chief right so i think it influenced me when it came to like my analysis but I think one of the things I appreciated um, was that when I got into community college the professor um, that I encountered on my first political science class who like 
wonderfully is still my mentor, right? He really made us like question and want to understand like why we believe what we believe. And we kind of did a little bit of a breakdown on it. And he had everyone do like this quiz. Um, I want someone to remind me. I will post a link to this quiz. And it kind of like, oh, it's yeah. a quiz. And what it does is that it divides like your, it divides things into like quadrants. And so you take this quiz and you kind of just answer like, honestly, like, where do you, how do you feel about different like issues? And it really gets you thinking, right? It goes anywhere from like how you feel like when it comes to like the economy and healthcare and all these different issues. And then at the very end, it kind of tells you, um, it shows you kind of like this map. It maps it out for you. Like, where do you, where do you fall? I guess, like as far as like the spectrum. And it doesn't very clearly tell you like, oh, you're a Democrat or you're a Republican. It just tells you that like for me, like when we, before we did this quiz, he asked everyone like, what do you think your political views are? Right. And I feel like, especially with like the generations now, right. They really want to look at things as like, oh, well, they kind of expect, I guess, everyone to have like a very liberal, very progressive view on everything. And at the time when I was in community college, I think I expected that of myself too, because of just my peers and like what I was kind of like hearing before I even got really into politics. But then as I took the quiz, I found out that like, not only was I more moderate, which I kind of expected, but I was moderate conservative, right? Like I would be a little bit more liberal when it came to like social issues, but when it came to the economy or if it came to like our international affairs, I was a lot more conservative. And I think being in a safe environment where having different opinions was encouraged, right? It was okay to have a discussion, but it allowed us to not just like regurgitate the media that we were consuming, but it really like give us an opportunity to explore like why we believed what we believed. And it was really, I think, interesting for, for me to like go through this whole process of like, okay, what is the media I consume and why do I like enjoying it? Right. Like I knew that like before everyone would push for people to watch CNN. Right. And I mean, it is still something like I'll look into, but like, why did I like CNN? I liked CNN because they had videos with like every other article. And so that was for me really, really informative for someone who, if you listen to any other podcast, I don't like to read. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I feel like growing up in a household where I didn't always necessarily agree with my parents when it came to like my political beliefs and so on. I think the idea that I had a community outside of my home, right? I had a community of people who were also studying political science. I had support to kind of be like, yes, you don't believe the same things I do. No, we don't necessarily have to have the same political party, but let's have a discussion. And I think just having that environment to have a discussion, like a really healthy, respectable and safe safe area right to have those discussions really allowed me to better form what my opinions were because it I couldn't rely on just mimicking like what everyone did you know I couldn't just monkey see monkey do or easily agree because 
let's say we were talking about like healthcare, right? And someone said something and someone else would be like, oh yeah, I believe that too. Like within my cohort that I had, like through my honors program, we were able to be like, okay, that's great. But why? Why do you believe that? Like, Hmm. are you saying it because like your peers or like your friend who's also like in this cohort also believes that? Like what substantive substantive it's getting late it's getting late um like evidence do i have to like reinforce my beliefs right i think it was the fact that like we encouraged like reading into things and we encouraged the idea if you didn't know the answer find the answer and having people who held you accountable to that and i don't feel like if i'm honest i just don't feel like the generation has that today it's either you're in mm. or you're out it's us against them and if you don't believe mm. what i believe well you're wrong and people ke- yeah people ke- this cancel culture right like i didn't understand it for such a long time i really was just kind of like what's going on but yeah it's this idea of like if you aren't with us you're against us and it's kind of like Sure, I guess that works if you're on a dodgeball team, <laughs> but this isn't this isn't dodgeball. Like these are real opinions that people have, and just some people sometimes people phrase it as like, "Oh, well, you believe that now because you're young," or "You believe that now because of mm. this." They don't. I don't think they are challenged in their beliefs, where it's kind of like people are so easily able to just regurgitate information, right? That they got off some infographic on Instagram or some bold statement that mm. someone said and just take nice type exactly, font. And just take it as their own. No one's being held accountable to be like, Hey, but what do you really know about this? Hey, have you actually done your research? Like, because people have like formed these clicks of you were either with us or you're against us. They don't really care about, I don't think people really care so much about being educated, right? Like being wholly and fully educated as much as they do as wanting to ride with the majority because the majority is what gets things done. And it's it's just really toxic because if people, especially this new generation, doesn't understand why they believe what they believe, when it comes to their time of them, you know, having politicians of their age groups and so on, especially even just the local level, are they just going to vote for them because that was their peer? Are they going to vote for them only because they're part of the same group, because they're part of the same community, because they're alumni of the same university? Like, there's nothing, there's nothing solid about that. They're basing things, I think, a lot now based on like character instead of just qualifications and looking at just the objective truths, right? And I can say the same thing about people who look at religion. They look things as like, oh, you're living this fairy tale of faith, but why can't we have discussions about objective truths? These are the numbers. You can take things as they will, like as they are, and just go with it. But it's just so, I don't know. I think I'm really thankful to grow up in an environment where it was acceptable, but I mean, I can't really say the same about, especially a lot of people I know, even my own peers. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, I think that's something that's so interesting what social media does, because, you know, you're, you're limited by what you can post. I think of, again, it's going to be controversial, but the whole idea of defunct, um, defund the police, right, was a big thing. 
And then, you know, you can only fit so much about what that means. And then people would follow up. It's like, oh, no, we support the police. We just want it reallocated to different things. And people would have That's more posts. That's just catchier, but, okay. You know, and <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And then the then we start to get into a place where, well, like you said, for Cam, you know, talks about, you know, what, uh, explain yourself. And Sean talked about how, hey, that was the key part of poli-sci philosophy. The law was to, to think and could a place when you post something and you can't really defend it well, then you turn into emotional arguments. A lot of times, a lot is, of ad you know, like, oh, oh yeah, the, the logical, look up logical fallacies 101 or something and you'll, you'll see that straw man is just riddled everywhere. with it. Strawman, strawman <laughs> argument is a big one. Uh, but yeah, it turns into emotional. It's like, well, if you don't agree with me, you're evil or you're a hater or you, you don't, you know, you're a terrible person. And then, of course, like on emotional level, because you can't really explain yourself, then you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to feel like I'm against the grain of what everyone is doing because it's going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm looking bad. So I'm going to go around with, with the flow. And, and that, that gets really scary. And I think that's, a you know, as we talked about, a big problem. Um, and we're not putting any judgment. Any listeners out there, you can always change. You can always do a little bit more research. You know, you can always... Um, kind of say you don't have to repost everything just because it, it looks good on the first moment. You can look a little bit deeper. Um, so you know, I want to. Uh, wait, I don't wait. know if it's in our. What about what about your politicalization? Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, thanks for reminding me. Um, so it's interesting in my household, um, sports and politics is actually very similar. And what do I mean by that is we didn't really talk about either a lot in our family. <laughs> so, uh, but what's so funny. It it wasn't because well, I'll, I'll use my dad. My dad did not follow sports or wasn't political. It's just it never came up in our discussions. And I think that's I don't know if it's was just the choice or they didn't feel like that was the proper thing to talk about. We talked about faith a lot growing up. Um, that was a big thing. You know, we we were all active Catholics, and you know, we would talk about politics in a sense of how it's you know affecting our faith and, and vice versa. But we never really got got into it. Um, so I say that for both sports and politics because I, you know, I wasn't a big Warriors fan growing up, um, nor was I a big, you know, Republican uh, or, you know, my dad is Republican. He was in the Air Force and um, a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really one way or the other until I got older and I became a Trailblazer fan because it was my own, you know, desires in, in college. Um, and then I started to form my own kind of political beliefs based on the people I was talking about, my time in seminary, um, and my own research. And it's funny because, you know, I'll bring it back full circle. Now that I talked to my dad, I've realized like he's a big Warriors fan. He's like big brain Warriors. He, he actually uh, followed them for a while, big Niners fans. And he can tell you like when he was younger, he was actually doing his own kind of fantasy football stats on his own, by like getting the news clippings and then like gathering all the stats. And he followed everyone in the Joe Montana era. Um, and he's really big into to politics like he uh you know i won't delve into his political beliefs and where he's at but you know he does a lot of research he does a lot of things he just doesn't listen to you know certain news stations and i never got that growing up you know it was there and we're having those conversations now but for, for some reason it never really was passed on i had to find it elsewhere and what's weird is because i found it elsewhere outside the home you know and luckily like i was talking about i i wasn't satisfied with just what the catholic you know my catholic friends were saying like do this do that i was like no like i want to go deeper and kind of led me into some interesting um reg vote registrations i i do admit at one point in my life i was both registered as a democrat and then subsequently republican and um right now i'm 
Uh, yeah. And, oh, man. Should I? This is weird. I feel like it's weird talking about your political party. Is that safe? Is that safe? It's it's up it's up to you. But what yeah. uh, what I what I could say is that it's for Catholics. That's not that's not unusual. Um, yeah. I did you know I I did a a, a small study for my political psychology class. Um, when I you know in and I and I wanted to find more about the political beliefs of catholics and yes and it's even even if you for you know uh, for catholics in a particular socioeconomic status all in, in a particular ethnic group you will find it split more or less evenly um at yeah. least in the small sample that i had and bishop Barron recently um, or I recently saw a video of his in which he he talks about something that that I knew intuitively um, for many many years that there's this tension that Catholics have in uh, when it comes to politics when it comes down to making political and policy or political decisions voting for candidates voting voting for voting in accord with a particular political party. Um, because uh, our our Catholic beliefs go beyond party identity. Mm-hmm. True, true, and you know, actually, that kind of brings into a good point right now. Um, in terms of, we hear a lot about, oh, this is the Catholic vote, this is the Filipino vote. You know, um, in your guys' opinion, we talked about this a little bit last week. We had a little prep call on this, and maybe I'll start with Cam. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Like, what when people said there's a Catholic vote. You know, what is what does that mean to you? Like what is your response? I I I said this before and I'll keep saying it again. I hate, hate, hate the terminology, the Catholic vote. Right? Because okay. it just interesting. <laughs> Delve into that first. It's just really I feel like it's very easy to make that like a token statement, right? Like you're looking for the Catholic vote. You want it for the you want to be able to like reach that demographic. And I feel like when you say it sometimes like the Catholic vote. I think what I was talking about before was the idea that, like, it kind of puts people in a box, right? Like, the Catholic Church is supposed to be universal, right? And we're supposed to reach people no matter, like, where they are, whether they have a different socioeconomic status, like, like where they are geographically, all these things, all these different factors. And I feel like by trying to define this Catholic vote, it's really hard to because there is no like one single demographic that encompasses the whole church, right? And I feel like one of the one of the hard things when it comes to like the Catholic vote is that by putting people in this box, it really puts people between like a rock and a hard place, right? Because if let's say you are Catholic, but you're just not in that point in your faith journey, right? And I'm just gonna be able to cite myself on that, right? My my political views changed just like how my faith views changed, but it didn't mean that they were inherently linked. Right. And so let's say someone is in their faith journey and they just aren't at that point. Right. We're not meeting them where they're at and they just don't necessarily agree with something the church is saying. If they decide that they don't want to vote in alignment with the church, now all of a sudden, are they not part of this quote, quote, Catholic vote? Like, is, are they now inherently less Catholic, 
right? If we even just look at like the faith in general, it's supposed to be inclusive. And I think by putting like these strict borders on like, oh, the Catholic vote, we're forgetting all the other things that make up the demographic, right? We are forgetting the fact that even if we compare it to, let's say, like the Hispanic vote or let's say even like here, right, the Filipino vote, while people can be really united in those things of like, okay, we have this similar view of like our parent or relative or self being like an immigrant, right? And that very clearly shaping our perspectives on things. When it comes to like the Catholic vote, you don't have that one factor because we're so spread. There's people who are like of the minority who are Catholic, who may be a lower, have a lower socioeconomic stand, right? Position in the world. And if we compare that to, let's say, people who are more well off, right? If we compare that to the people who are, let's say, like, the Joe Bidens of the world, right, who were able to have this higher education and so on. You can't bridge, you can't make a bridge between the between the two different parts of the spectrum. You can't do that when it comes to making the Catholic vote. You can't. It, then you're just generalizing. You're generalizing, this is what I think the church wants. This is what I think the church needs. Mm. And it becomes a numbers thing. Well, if I can get the Catholic vote, then they'll go ahead and they'll contact their whatever official, whatever position, right? They'll go and they'll contact them and they'll be able to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It becomes less about the people, which is what the church constantly, constantly emphasizes, right? The people and the dignity of these people. And it just makes them a number. It makes it this, well, how do we win them over instead of, oh, where do we meet them where they're at? And I feel like that can contradict like what the church teaches. And I don't know. I just feel like say that there's a Catholic vote really just takes out the idea of where, where are they in their formative process? Yeah. Yeah. And as we talked about it, it, the idea of there being a kind of a right or wrong answer for a Catholic to vote kind of takes away the forming of, of their, you know, consciousness, you know, forming of their, their person and how to vote. Um, and I think that's the danger of saying, yeah, if you're a Catholic, you should vote this way because then you take away that everything we're talking about, how do you develop yourself and your ideas? Uh, so uh, Sean, like, I think we had this conversation too about like the USCCB for those that don't know United States, Oh, wait. United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and they released a document. If you can, oh, the, the title, official title, which has been changed a little bit, uh, is? Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. Hmm, I yes. wasn't going to guess that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, tell me, tell me about that. Like, kind of going in, the, you know, your response to the Catholic vote and tying it into this document about forming consciousness for faithful citizenship. Sure. Actually, I want to, I want to kind of uh, begin by, by kind of describing the, the results of my, of when I did that study. So I, I, yes. I <laughs> my little study. So obviously this is, you know, not. Pew Research Junior. Right <laughs> yes. It was for like, uh, you know, for, like I said, for my political psychology class. And, um, and basically, I sampled uh, the parents of my of my alma mater. I went to I graduated from uh, from a Catholic from the local Catholic school. 
Um, so I approached the eighth grade teacher to see if I could give this little questionnaire out to the parents of those eighth graders. Um, and, and what I found is that, you know, if you kind of measure um, the degree of religiosity, which includes, you know, things like faith formation, um, personal devotions, like um, praying the rosary, um, out of going to adoration, things like that, um, consistent mass attendance, that those um, those Catholics tended to vote more as a block. And, and similarly, those who, who didn't have a high, high degree of religiosity also kind of was... Uh, voted in a particular way or, or viewed policies in a particular way. So what, I agree what Cam was saying that the Catholic vote isn't a like monolithic thing because Catholics don't, um, you know, one, the, the Catholics people and people who identify as Catholics um, incorporate a wide and a large you know, group of people with, with, you know, different, different socioeconomic statuses, different experiences and backgrounds and all of that kind of contributes. Right. And as long as, as well as where they are on, the, on their faith journey in, into making their political decisions. Um, however, however, if if one were to look at Catholics in in terms of their religiosity, yes, then you could see this particular group of Catholics tend to vote this this way and agree with these certain policy issues. And 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 same thing for the Catholics on the kind of other end of the of the spectrum in regards to religiosity. They kind of also tend to vote together. Um, but because you because you don't really see that um, Catholics voting as a block, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and Catholics tend to to I believe voted for you know majority of Catholics in the U.S. voted for President Obama. I believe his his first time around, and and the same you know and the majority of Catholics also voted for Trump as well, if I recall. Um, I haven't uh I haven't looked at the numbers recently but that's what that's what I recall can recall from off the top of my head. Um uh, you know and and these are people who are identify self identifying as Catholics but not kind of going deeper into what their um you know how they are in in their faith journey and in their faith formation. Um and so part of being you know being formed and uh, and something that you have to take into consideration is your conscience, right? But your conscience needs to be formed, as you know, as it says in the in the catechism. So the bishops to assist us in this have uh, have published this document. I believe it was first called Faithful Citizenship, and that's what kind of people know it as. But in subsequent and every four years or so they kind of update it or they kind of add a letter to it. Um, but its current name is Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, which really kind of emphasizes the point of that document to help form your conscience. Um, and for, you know, it, it talks about the role of Catholics in political and political life. Um, 
Catholics, you know, especially and particularly lay Catholics, have a particular role to play. Um, but it's interesting, but how the church is viewed in politics, the church is viewed with suspicion. I recall a survey done um, in 1994, which Archbishop Wensky of the Archdiocese of Miami, I believe, he, he presented to the USCCB. In 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 1994, oh, excuse me, in 2014. I don't know where I'm coming with that. Not, not the year you were born. Yes, not no, 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 no. I was I was born, which goes to my own politicalization. Oh. I was born in '80, so I knew Reagan up until I was in fourth grade. So anyway, and my family was voting for Dukakis. I was like Dukakis, and as a little fourth grader, I would have like debates <laughs> during recess with you know with people. Who, whose families were supporting Bush and whose families were supporting Dukakis, and we kind of battled it out as fourth Fort graders. You were, I would love to see that. You don't see that or hear about that anymore. Well, it was, and and the Fortnite the extent thing. of argument was like, "Hey, Bush, what are you have like twigs and leaves growing out?" And then they're like, "Dukakis, <laughs> okay. that sounds like Dukaka." So. Yes, that okay, was our yeah, okay, There we go. go. That sounds more like children. There we go. Like. Yeah, that sounds more like. It. But we were, but that was our consciousness. We were aware that there was a presidential presidential election going on, and we were aware that we had differences, um, and that this election and our differences mattered. Um, but we were, were all students at the at at a Catholic school together. That was our kind of unifying. Um, element right and um well i guess we talk about that later about uh, unifying elements in in our country um but going back to the document so they they talk about first why catholics should participate in political life um even though oh going back to that that survey i mentioned um that archbishop wensky presented it said that a majority of young people who were surveyed sa- said that the church should not be involved in politics and I think you see that in a subsequent Pew um, study, right? That Catholics in the U.S. say the church shouldn't be involved in politics. Now, there's something to be said about how the question is formed and the various methodology. Um, but but to address that, well, one, it, it goes, you know, we see it on a touching a much kind of deeper issue about, you know, cate- catechesis and formation. And um, anyway, but... But given that, given that a majority of Catholics, at least who were surveyed, believe that the church should not be involved in politics, um, it's hard. It's it's hard to imagine that. So, and so the church is supposed to. How is the church not supposed to be involved in politics? And obviously, this is not to say this is not saying that the church should be endorsing um, particular candidates. Um, politicians um but the church does take positions on on propositions when you know when it's when it's clear clearly um touching on on an aspect of catholic social teaching catholic theology um but i mean what what there are some people who think that as catholics we should be catholic in our homes and in our churches and not so basically from door from doorstep to doorstep from the doorstep of your home to the doorstep going into the church but not catholic anywhere else 
Um, yeah, it's like taboo. Or or not, yeah, or not practicing your faith, right? Um, and I and I think I saw an interview with um Archbishop uh, um Archbishop uh, Chaput, who said that's that's similar to saying to a married man, um, you mm. you you could you could act like you're married um in your own home but you but you can't act like you're married outside of your home is it possible yes but he probably won't is stay it married it's he probably won't stay married Ooh, for that, long that's supposed right? for you no. rents <laughs> <laughs> thanks just recently married yeah uh, yes that hit home that hit home indeed no um, I, I like that but i actually I'm, like that a lot because like yeah, like the idea of it being like, oh, it's from doorstep to doorstep. Like, I think it kind of it kind of inherently says that like, oh, Catholicism or even faith in general like doesn't have a place in everything else. It doesn't have a place in the workplace. It doesn't have place. It doesn't have a place in like your social life. Like, it's so defined of like where you can be Catholic. Real quickly, uh, I think we talked a lot about okay. You know, forming our consciousness, how we kind of, in sense, formed our political beliefs. I want to take a moment, actually, and kind of address some of our viewers. And I'm going to play the role of a viewer or a listener um, that's listening, and they're like hearing everything you're saying and what we're talking about. And they're like, "Okay, so elections are coming up. How? What do I do?" So imagine I'm a a new the the new generation that looks at like social media and I'm not a poli sci major. I, I don't have this background. I don't read a lot of documents from the church or if I'm not Catholic listening to this, you're, you're very much welcome. Um, you know, I just don't follow politics. It's not my thing. So, so Cam, Sean, what's kind of your pitch in terms of, you know, how, how not necessarily what you're going to vote, but how you go through the process of voting, you know, where can we get kind of some tips, you know, Maybe if you want to kind of reference an article that you write to put more, that's totally fine. But kind of what's your, 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 you're sitting with someone, um, they're not that involved in politics, but voting's coming up, they're of age. Um, and how do you kind of prep them on that? And, and not just for, maybe not just for this election, but maybe for the rest of their life. As you said, politics is everywhere. Politics um, is important. So I don't know who wants to go first. I don't want to volunteer someone. Uh, so. I'll go on this line first. So I would say... For especially like people of this newer generation, right? People who are fresh to being able to vote, right? Newly eligible. I would say first is as tempting as it may be, get off social media for it, right? You can't rely on mm. social media because let's be honest, most of the content you're getting is going to be off Instagram. And just like anyone's Instagram profile, they want to show their best selves, Right. Inherently, mm. social media is biased and you can't just rely on copying what someone says. Right. Two, be okay with not knowing everything. Right. I think, especially now, there's just really this pressure to know everything and to have the answers for everything. But saying that you don't have the answers and saying that, I don't actually know. Let me look more into it. And then actually looking into it, that's a, that's a very okay response, right? That's very acceptable. But I think one of the biggest things is just educate yourself. I know that sounds like something that everyone's been saying is like, oh, educate yourselves. And 
it's not just like looking into scholarly articles. I think it's important to even just take inventory of what you're feeling, how you're feeling, and why you're feeling those ways, right? Mm-hmm. I think especially right around this time where we have we have the presidential ticket on there, right? We also have a bunch of local seats. We have our representatives. We have a bunch of propositions. I think it's really important to kind of just break it down. I think like sometimes people want to be able to just fill out their ballots and go, right? But I think it's important to just kind of break it down, right? Like for me, I tell people, I'm like, don't wait until the month of the election or waiting for your ballot to come in to start doing some research, right? Look at, I always start with just like making pros and cons, right? Yes, you get like your official like voting guide, but also kind of do your own research and look at where you're getting this information, right? Don't be afraid to look at, look at articles and views that contradict your own, right? Because the point isn't to say that, oh, you, you're going to agree with everyone because you're not. <laughs> the point is, is to just familiarize yourself with one, people having a different opinion and two, understanding where they're coming from, right? Whether you're a person of faith or not, right? We need to be able to build up this culture of just understanding without necessarily the pressures of, oh, you have to conform, right? This isn't to say like, oh, down with the man, right? It's just to better educate yourself, right? Look into, look into everything, right? Look into the background. Get yourself familiarized with context. I feel like context is everything. Because, yes, you can go on Instagram and you can look at that 30-second clip of what happened during a debate. Or you can look at, like, a meme that's done out of it, right? Or, like, the gifts and all of that. It's really easy. But at the end of the day, there's no substance. And I think especially for people who are now newly eligible to vote, I'd say one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give is break it down, right? It's during this time, even for someone like myself who loves politics and is really into it, I also get really overwhelmed with how many propositions and how many seats are on a ballot. It's super overwhelming mm-hmm. because it's there's so much text and you sometimes feel like, oh, I have to, like, my vote is going to, like, you put that weight on your shoulders of, like, my one vote is going to do all these things. But you have to understand that that feeling is completely normal. And if you break it down, it's not as overwhelming, right? And if you're making informed decisions, you're going to feel better about the decisions that you make, right? Because if you are making yourself informed, if you're informing yourself on any of these issues, you're looking past, oh, what do my friends think? What does, what do my family think? Not to say that you shouldn't take those things into consideration, but now you have a solid foundation for your beliefs and how you form them, right? Because very easily, especially what I found, even amongst my own peers, is that people sometimes will take the idea of your political beliefs or your beliefs on anything, right? Seeing that change and transform, people very easily want to say, oh, you're being wishy-washy, right? 
don't be afraid mm. to change your opinions and your or your flip flop exactly right don't mm. be afraid to let your emotions and your views evolve with what you've experienced and just even your growth as a person because i can tell you that my beliefs that i had at 18 are different than here at 26 right and realistically they're probably going to change and transform more as i grow into my i guess older adulthood right as i as i change and <laughs> rents and sean right now are just like gosh I'm- i know older adulthood what does that mean 30s <laughs> well because like i see the sense of like 40s? okay like yes i care about health care right because i am a person who goes to the doctor all the time but i know i'm gonna probably like my emphasis on different issues like social security not to say that i'm not really into that i really am but like it's going it's going to be something that affects me more readily right that that's normal and that's okay for, for example, like social issues as well. But I would say also just read up, read on what these propositions can do, read on what these positions actually do. You know, it's, I would say at the end of the day, just at least get yourself educated on the basics. And I think that's enough, you know? Yep. So I'm going to volunteer Cam to do to article on like your favorite sources. I know you're you love pure yes, research. Yes, I do. It's maybe my I'm favorite gonna, thing in the whole world. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe we'll do an article uh, on that on her love. <laughs> There's a funny backstory, and maybe she'll explain it about her her idol uh, growing up or still. But uh, but shifting gears to to Sean. So go ahead. What what's kind of your your kind of um, pitch or kind of mythology that you want to share with our listeners about? Sure. Um, Actually, I wanted to take a bigger picture approach. Um, Okay. I was uh, was going through the book Them um, by by Senator Ben Sass. Um, I believe that the full title is Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. Again, kind of referencing the us and them dichotomy. Yep. Um, and and yeah, Senator Sass is is a Republican senator, but it's a good it's a good book. And actually, I've been listening to it through um, through Audible. So um, and I I think and any wherever you fall on the political spectrum, it's it's definitely worth a read or worth a listen to. And if you get the audio book, you can actually listen to Senator Sass. Narrate his book. I, I like it. Um, That's cool. So he, he he talks about human happiness and human flourishing and kind of what the what the data suggests that influence that. And and he he talks about. I believe he talks about four things. Um, it's the nuclear family. Like, do you? Do you have a family? Do you have, and the next thing is, do you have true friendships? Friends who love you. Friends that when something good happens to you, they're happy, right? Because, they, because they're genuinely happy for you, right? Um, three, do you have, uh, have a meaningful, meaningful work or a sense of calling? Um, do you think, you know, that, you're, that what you do matters, that someone, that someone needs you in uh, in society as your profession, 
and for having a kind of philosophical theological framework um which you know in which helps you process suffering and death um and a worshiping community and and really we we see that you know they talked about this you know in the news you heard of the epidemic of loneliness and how i believe more and more people are dying through um through deaths related to despair, like through opioid use and addiction and suicide, right? Even, even, even more so than, um, than, uh, even more so than, than like car accidents, right? Yeah. Yep. So, so having, having, having those close and intimate relationships and, and, and how your work contributes to that and how your, your faith community um, and your your kind of theological, philosophical dimensions and outlooks on life, right? Um, and he he sums it up at least you know for for a majority of those things he sums it up in this idea of rootedness, um, that a rootedness that's tied to place, and and he says that it's it's hard now because you know we're we're being told that. Um, in this kind of digital age, which, you know, in, involves bits versus like at molecules, like stuff, right. And it's more kind of mm-hmm. on the web, like in, you know, out there, very kind of, Digital. yes. Um, it's hard to be rooted now to form community, to form an, a, a community that's based on a location, on place, considering people move, people change jobs, um, and he 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 particularly said even for men, it's hard for men to make new friends, particularly as they grow older, and so you have less likely to um, to build those meaningful, to have those meaningful relationships. Um, so he so anyway so and and he 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 talks about the media and he talks about how how. It's it's rootedness versus root rootlessness, which mm. I would add then leads to ruthlessness, right? Mm. That we saw on the purge, right? When everything is about the individual and how the individual can customize um, his or her own universe, and because it's in my universe. Um, my definition of horror films notwithstanding, um, <laughs> it's uh, everyone else is in their own universes, right? And mm. if it's something ro- not what I consider right in my in my universe, then it's wrong. And and the media, um, particularly many in the kind of twenty four hour news media, turn it into the, everything becomes an existential threat. Right, everything is is on the outside wanting to to change you, to get you, mm. right, mm-hmm. to destroy your universe. Fear mongering, and that's not so, right? And and that's not so. If if everything isn't, if everything that you disagree with becomes an existential threat, then you cannot have meaningful conversations because. This idea of rationality, let alone compassion and charity, it's it's kind of thrown out the window because you start to form what he calls anti-tribes, right? Versus a 
a traditional or historical view of tribes, your 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 community, starting with your family, and anti-tribe is defined. You know, when he calls it, you know, political tribalization and and another language like that. But an anti-tribe is defined by something in which you are against versus something that you're for, right? So the people who are against X, Y, and Z, that's their kind of anti-tribe versus someone who is promoting, you know, something else, someone who stands up for something else, right? Um, and and you know, if and if we are the rulers of our own universes then that means everything in our universe revolves around us Mm. and you know and you know you kind of look at that with the decline of birth rates the decline of marriages particularly marriages among you know what would be younger people um is that and and um helen alvarez also talks about this Right. Because it is in, you know, her in her experience in marriage in having in her marriage with her husband and having kids of her own. She learns, you know, it's you know, it's the school of love. She learns that, ah, I am not the center of the universe or rather I am not alone at the center of the universe. Other people are there. Right. Um, and so so, you know, uh, Ben Sass, uh, Senator Sass talks about, you know, how to then form, form roots. And as Kama said, one of, part of that is kind of getting away from, from these kind of digital, you know, online quote unquote friendships or relationships where, you know, to be a friend online, you know, your friend on Facebook, how about, how many, how many of those, like thousands and mm. thousands of friends are actually your friends. I don't think acquaintances right? mm-hmm. sounds nicer. Mm. I think like add your acquaintance. See, <laughs> add your parents. Yeah, from it's true. <laughs> oh man, um, but yeah. So kind of stepping away from from those from and you know and it, and we we've been we've all been feeling it in this age of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. at least for me. When I have Zoom meeting, meetings, because, you know, that's the terminology that's used with my family instead of, like, dinner, right? <laughs> you know, our family yeah, get yeah. together. Um, it, it becomes meetings. And it becomes through Zoom. Only one person could speak at once. And it's, I feel, I get, actually, I get more, I get more depressed after these Zoom meetings because <laughs> I miss, I miss, I miss all my cousins yeah. and I miss my aunties and uncles so much. Um that uh and 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 if you can talk to you know talk to other people have actual conversations with other people and you know and see them as you know not the enemy not the existential threat right because you can't dialogue with enemies enemies are there to be destroyed enemies are there to be conquered Mm. right Mm -hmm. but but view them as another human person and you know and in in our faith as a brother and sister made in the image and likeness of god right and secondly i would say obviously pray and you know kind of form form your conscience right um in school 
in in high school, I went to Catholic high school too. We learned the stop sign method um, in making moral decisions. Okay. Stop S. Search out the facts. T. Think about alternatives and consequences. O. Consider others. And P. Pray. <laughs> so anyway, stop sign method. I knew. Um, I had wow, something. People don't stop. They run I through the lights. Similar, but it was a very secular version. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was. Everything oh. was cool. Like up to T. <laughs> so I guess half. But O was oh. like. Uh, consider others and outcomes. MP oh, yeah. is um, look at their personhood, not humanity. Personhood. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, the dignity of the human person—that's that's a thing from from uh, forming consciousness for faithful citizenship. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so interesting. If if I may add, Sean, uh, kind of going on that uh, uh, thought of you know universes. I think uh, there's this discussion of freedom. Right. Oh yes. Like, what is yeah. freedom? Yes. Um, oh man. I I know. Like uh, John John Stuart Mill, I think talks about freedom as you can do whatever you want. You know, freedom of speech, freedom as long as you're not impinging on someone. Impeding? Um, impinging is that the word? <laughs> not in, impeding on someone else's you know well being or things like that. And so you get into this weird thing where I think going back to the purge, it flips on its head. You know, these people are pro-America, you know, freedom, you know, new founding fathers. And it uses that, that ideas like, um, but what if you could take the freedom in that sense to the ultimate sense where in total sense where, yeah, you can do whatever you want, you know, but it means that if you do whatever you want, you will impede and kill people. You will like destroy people and their livelihood. You will break into their universe. Um, and inherently, like when you watch the purge, it's like, this feels wrong, but if you take freedom to like the ultimate degree, then it's hard to argue like, yeah, it, they kind of get away with it. They are kind of free to do that, but it's wrong because they're, they're hurting someone else. But like, then is it freedom or is it not freedom? You know, you I get mean, into I that. Feel like with the purge, like it yeah, especially like reinforces the idea of like this instant gratification, right? Because I remember like watching election year and when I think her name's Lainey, right? The one who, yeah the and she goes up to like this lady who like shot her husband like she kind of talks about later how like that lady shot her husband because she couldn't stand to look at his face but then so she shot him because like you know she was purging but then like when she found this lady on like the side like she was freaking out and everything because it didn't feel as good as she thought it was going to be Right. And if we go mm-hmm. with the bratty shoplifter, that's what I'm going to refer to her as. Right. Oh, like, yeah. She was really about to kill someone over a candy bar because he wouldn't let her shoplift. Right. Like she wanted this instant gratification thinking like, oh, well, I didn't get my candy bar. So now he's going to get what's his. Like it is this idea of like, it's so ex- like. I want to say like, oh, it's excessive freedom, but it's the idea that they're given this, essentially this immunity, right, from any consequences where they don't have to think about, not only only do they not have to think about the consequences, but they also don't have to think about anyone but themselves. Because if it feels right in the moment, then it's fine because I don't have to deal with these consequences tomorrow, you know? Yeah, tying back to you know, you know, Senator Sass, as you're saying, Sean, the universes and, and other self, like look at social media. What's more satisfying to be like on a comment being like, Oh, you know what? I was wrong and I'm sorry and you know, let's let's have a dialogue, or is it better be like, You're stupid, 
you know, I'm, you're you're done. Like you're wrong. But you and, can't even apologize. Kind of destroy them, right? Media either, because people are like, oh, fake, or you're only doing this because mm. you got caught, or they'll see it as like, oh, you're being flip floppity, you're being wishy washy. Like, why don't you yeah, stand for any? Like, you can't win if you apologize. Like people say, they want accountability. But they're also hypocrites because a lot of these people who want accountability, when someone takes accountability for something that they did wrong, they're still somehow put under fire. Like you, there is no room anymore to be wrong. You're either right or you're not. But this definition of right is really subjective. Yep. So going back, Sean, go ahead. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, the going back first to your you know, to your comment about freedom, right? Um, and what Cam was saying too, that, well, first as, as freedoms, you know, we are, I mean, as freedoms, as, as Americans, <laughs> freedom is our, you know, that that's definitely part of our identity. Like if there was ever a kind of national American identity, you know, that would be, uh, it's you our know, American creed. It's America. That's our, our, that's one of the planks for that. That's one of the, our, uh, our, our foundation, you know, in terms of who we are and how we kind of conceive ourselves to be as free, right? But freedom, of course, isn't, you know, isn't the ability necessarily to do whatever you want. It's the ability, of course, to do at least, you know, what, what, what we hold uh, as Catholics to do what we ought, right? Mm. Um, so that this freedom doesn't lead into some form of extreme individualism where we, mm. where we don't consider others. Right. But rather, but rather this freedom should, should lead us to be, to form and build a more, uh, a more, a society of justice and peace and love. I know I, that that sounds so, <laughs> I know. It, yes, peace and love, and you know, I love puppies, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Like, that. Um, but no, no, it's it's deeper. Than I that, believe right? I, I I recall hearing um, Venerable Archbishop Sheen, um, mm. Venerable or Servant of God, I think Venerable, yes, um, Archbishop Sheen, say that if you're using a um, a vacuum cleaner, right, and you're like, I I could you know, or a musical instrument, right? And I have the freedom to make up my own notes to play it however I want to play it for a musical instrument or for a vacuum cleaner. I want to, I have the freedom to use it in any way that I want to, right? Like, for example, if I have the freedom to try to make coffee with my vacuum cleaner or play, right? (laughs) You're not. You you you're, you won't be able to right you're you're because you're not using it how it was intended to be used right and and in the case of playing a musical instrument by saying like oh I'm I refuse to follow the notes I refuse to follow any sort of law of music or harmony right because I, I want to do my own thing it's not going to you're not going to be you're not going to produce a symphony you're not going to produce um beauty right Mm. um and so and so we must you know we we must use our freedoms at the for the service 
of others um and 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 always be always be grateful grateful to god that we have that we that we do have such freedoms um but also you know going back to what you but what you're asking me and what i was talking about to to kind of give some any advice to anyone who might be listening um about how they're going to be approaching making this and future policy and political decisions um you know i talked about rootedness um but also conversion I, you know, I, you know, conversion. If you're, if you, you know, in a, in a Catholic sense, where you know you're not going out there and um, trying to like, you know, throw catechisms at people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rosaries. Come, you must come pray. The um, what, what voice is that? What? What? Who's the? Is that a nun? Is that your nun voice? No, that was my kind <laughs> of one. angry fundamentalist Catholic. You know. Saying you have to like, I'm forcing you to pray the rosary in me, whether you like it or not. <laughs> or that might be me I, as I, a parent, as to my kids. You're praying the rosary now. Oh, do you want to eat dinner anyway. or not? Uh, <laughs> dinner or salvation? But I mean, but but conver- conversion in the Catholic sense of 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 orienting and reorienting your life towards God. Right. You know, we talk about and and also, you know, because I think a lot of this, you know, we we could talk about policy. We could talk about, you know, how the different ways social media talking about. But when it it comes down to it, because social media, I think, in general, is neutral, kind of like money, kind of like, you know, a knife. It depends on how you use it. Right. It's the choices that you're making. And the choices that you're making, for example, with the social media, with money, whatever, whatever it is, but that has to be you. You have to be conf- to be oriented towards a particular direction. That is, and so that involves, you know, a daily, um, uh, a daily examination of conscience, you know, as part of the ritual in, in night prayer, Compline. Um, you know, availing yourselves of the sacraments, particularly, of course, the sacrament of the sacraments of uh, penance and and the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, and also, I guess this is either a, a, in a, in uh, a branch off of conversion, um, like focus. Well, one, focus on you. Make yourself better. If you make yourself better, if your relationship. To God, if you're, you know, um, invoking the Holy, you know, in, invoking the Holy Spirit and trying to live your life in the light of truth, mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. then you will be, you know, then you will be led in the direction um, which will helps you grow as as a better person, which is to say, helps you, you know, grow. Um, you know, takes you're taking another step toward heaven, which is my 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 I guess my last thing is if we're on this journey, you have to have an idea of where you're going, right? Mm. You can't, you know, I like to I like to talk about mm. pilgrim this this imagery of pilgrimage, this idea of journey, right? But we're not we're not wanderers aimlessly kind of going about the world, you know, ending up somewhere eventually and even then is that our permanent place no 
We like E.T., like Odysseus, <laughs> like Dorothy, right. right? We have a destination, and that destination is home. We are pilgrims going home. And you talk about ori- orient- orienting yourself. We're orienting ourselves home, right? The word orient towards the east. We're facing the rising um, the rising sun. Um, well, that's liturgical, but anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going, we're going home, but, but, you know, but I guess going back on that, our, our, how we pray, you know, influences what we believe, like, just like in the right, right? The ritual, we are our rituals, as I've heard it said before, we are our rituals. So if you have like the, the rituals in the right, they not only perpetuate, they not kind of sustain this idea this concept of the purge but um it promotes it right it teaches it to other generations and reinforces it within ourselves um so to be orienting ourselves towards god in our own lives which is to say you know use a big kind of fancy catholic theological word um eschatology right Mm. which is to mm-hmm. say which which has to do with death and judgment and kind of the the ultimate destiny of ourselves and of humanity to have that in mind to kind of have that in mind where we're going um to have an es- eschatological point of view um that i i think would be beneficial amen amen i think it uh touched on a little bit about the idea of ritual and it's, it's funny. It's these movies, they're, they're meant, you know, the purge, they're meant to be provocative, right? They're meant to excite and, and look at the world. And, you know, I think that's one thing about the purge. They, they, it does a great job of introducing this really interesting concept. You know, what if crime is legal, but how they executed it was, was also kind of interesting, but you look at the purge and how they did it. They take this idea as like, okay, this is what I see with, with government and, I think it's wrong here. And I, this is what I see with God and religion. And you kind of take pieces of it as we talked about it. But the danger in taking those pieces is you can kind of create a caricature of what right of a ritual is. And as Sean, you so eloquently said, when you look at, well, a ritual is only good if it really reminds us of where we're going or what it's for. But if you take that away and you replace it with something evil, then yeah, the ritual looks wrong, but you don't throw away the, you know, I hate the adage, but throw away the baby with the bathwater. You don't say, ah, the problem is the rituals of the purge is, is the wrong thing. Therefore, all any anything that uses rituals is wrong. Oh, the problem is in government. Anything with government control is wrong. Um, that's the danger of kind of these these statements that you have to you have to look at it critically. You know, what is it saying and what is it critiquing? Um yeah. but you know. Yeah, I mean, Still I think the whole point Still of the purge, right, is it's supposed to be like this big hyperbole, right? Like, it's it's all these extremes. It's all these extremes, right? And mm-hmm. I think, like, especially with <laughs> the state of everything right now, right, looking at the purge and kind of also thinking, like, man, if this were to happen in 2020, like, I can't say that I don't think people – some people would take this approach, right, of, like, oh, we're just going to go in, like, kill off our enemies right serve our own justices essentially but i think like when we look at the purge like i don't know if i i think in my 
for myself, I separate it as like, oh, they're performing rituals as much as it is like they're just falling in line with procedure, right? Like they just know this is something that I'm mm. going to do because it doesn't really lead to anything. It leads to congratulations. You did something, you had your pent up anger and you got it out for 12 hours. Like it's a procedure, like, because at the end of the day, people kind of see it as like, oh, it's an opportunity. I guess that's the better way to phrase it. It's an opportunity. Uh-huh. It's an opportunity for them to get their vengeance out. It's their opportunity to like kind of like promote their own justices. Right. Because at the end, like there isn't there isn't anything really that really happens after that night, you know. They don't have to live with the consequences. They're doing it because they have an opportunity. And I feel like if we connect that to like what we're looking at, you know, in our modern times, right? Like I think a lot of people are very quick to decide like, oh, this is not what I want. And like they make these like grand suggestions, right? I'm not going to say solutions because they're not very heavily backed. But hot take, but hot take. they give these suggestions where it's like, okay, that's great. But how would you even execute that? You know, and I think when I look at the purge, it's like, okay, they took something, gave it an extreme, right? And was like, okay, this is like the anarchy that kind of happens with it, right? This whole every man for themselves. And I think one of the things, I think linking back to earlier when I was talking about Lainey, I think think the reason why I, even though I don't like horror or thriller movies, even if they don't fit Sean's definition, is the idea. I like the fact that she has a very human quality to her, right? Like, yes, I like her because she essentially is a badass, right? But at the same hand, like, her role in the movie has been, like, she's doing the triage support, right? Like, she's here trying to help people, aid people, right? Help those who have been wounded. But on the same hand, like she's there to kind of make the best of the situation, but she isn't there to add fuel to the fire. Right. And I feel like if people took that approach when it came to even just having discussions, right? Like, yes, we can talk about when you disagree with someone, you can say, Hey, I think like maybe it's because of this, right. Within, within reason, but on the same hand, like, you're not there to add the point of discussion isn't to add fuel to the fire. The point of discussion is to let people in a sense, right? Hash it out, share different viewpoints, swap different opinions. It's not about adding fuel to the fire. It's not about, Oh, you're right. And I'm wrong. Right. Because very easily, even in her role in the movie, she could have been like, like to the lady who shot her husband, she could have been like, well, you brought this upon yourself. Right. But her thing was, it's like, okay, we're going to care. We're going to go and check on this guy and try to care for him because this has happened to him. And I think one of the things that she does well in the movies that she really showcases like that level of humanity that we have to have, even in these situations, right? Like, yeah, maybe you don't know the context of like everything that led up to that point, right, that led to that form of judgment, that led to their political beliefs, or so on. But we're here to 
we're here to hash out our opinions. We're here to have these discussions, right? It's about the person and not about being right. Because I think a lot of people are viewing a lot of the conversations nowadays, and it's a lot more about being right, where sometimes we throw humanity out the window. Um, for me, when in the in kind of viewing these movies, um, which I, I admit I did specifically for the podcast, um, just like how I would watch Walking Dead, um, not because I actually liked, you know, particularly in, enjoyed Walking Dead, um, but I really enjoyed Talking Dead. So I like I would watch Walking <laughs> Dead so I could I, I could you That's know Georgie. yeah I could I understand the analysis in in, in Talking Dead. Um, but for me, it made me really think about um, the role of laws, why we have laws, mm. and the role of the state. Um, and in particularly in why we have laws, and this kind of goes back to our discussion about freedom. Um, we and, and it's interesting in the in the purge, it's that laws were, you know, all crime, all in general, all crime. But there was there was caveats, right? Yep. Um, but in general, all yes, over. yes, all crime was. Um, legal for what 12 hours um but it's interesting because it's nowhere did did it say that murder became less repugnant um to people or to the state um well i guess that you know that depending on on which character is maybe that's not necessarily the case that but in general because otherwise why in the other days of the year, why would murder and such be and and all crime, right? So not just murder, but any other unspeakable thing humans can and have done to each other. Um why that is illegal of the rest of the year, right? Um so so for me, and you know, I was also thinking about like, you know, why we have ecclesial law because you know, then then you say why you know, ecclesial big word like church related church law, yep. um, you know, for people who are who are Catholic and other types of nerds like me, um, <laughs> that uh, that why why do we why do we have such laws even even in the church and I'm it made me think of Chesterton. Chesterton, mm. G.K. Chesterton said um, something to the effect of our laws, our ecclesial laws, aren't aren't the walls of a prison. They're the walls of a playground. Because he, he imagined he imagined a group of children on like a cliff or on like a kind of narrow plateau where there was, you know, there are steep, steep sides all around them. And if you just put if you put them there, what do they do? They're just gonna huddle in the center, you know, because they're afraid of like going falling off. But if you put the security of the walls around, then they are free to play. So mm. far be it from being the walls of a prison, uh, Chesterton said, is, um, "Our laws and are in, are are the walls of a playground where we have the freedom, freedom to play, freedom to." Um, to 
pursue love to pursue love and truth and goodness and beauty um the uh, similarly bishop Barron talks about the the nature and purpose of laws as being um referencing a lake or a, or, or a very placid body of water right if you if a, if you a large amount of water on flat land it what is it it's it's kind of stagnant just kind of sits there really doesn't do or go anywhere but once you put the water in the the banks like of a river then the water rushes right because the water is forced is you know is goes between um uh you know is channeled in between the 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 two banks right then there's potency then there's energy right then there's true progress um and 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 a forward motion towards towards our ultimate destiny right so um anyway so that was on my mind my kind of last few comments about about the perch unless you had any other questions rents no no i was just wrapping up well sean cam Thank you for joining us on this wonderful episode. Um, I'm going to kind of put them on the spot. I think things we talked about can definitely be expanded more. So you be on the lookout. They may be posting some articles on helping you kind of navigate, you know, some of the the recommendations that Sean made that he's listening to. Cam, again, that peer researcher article, how to navigate. You know, it's a, I think it's a very underutilized uh, resource uh, because it's like, uh, no, you don't. You don't see it a lot anywhere, right? You don't see like actual like polling and um, articles from there. And wait, 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 Sean, wait. I know what you don't see it anymore in social media. Yeah, you don't oh, see anyone okay. like maybe put, in like, social yeah. media. And I, I yeah, I, yeah, I talk about social because it's it's all over. You know, particularly now, it everyone's talking about whose numbers are up, whose numbers are yeah. down, yeah. which group is voting this way, which group is leaning that way, particularly in the so-called swing right. states. And actually, anyway, uh, yeah. Catholic voters are considered swing voters now because of the idea that um, because they're kind of torn. They're in this weird, like, sweet spot where it's like they could either if like they're kind of in this weird spot of like, well, if they're of the faith, are they going to go with like the single issue right? when it comes to like, for example, like uh, pro-life legislation versus like someone who is a person of color and so it's really interesting because they're kind of like saying that now catholics are i was reading that earlier they're like oh catholics are swing voters because it kind of depends are they going to stick with like someone who is catholic right if we choose like the if we're looking at biden or are they going to choose someone who has like help pass legislation that is catholic so it's like symbolic versus like representative. And I don't know why, but I think that's really cool. Like looking into that. <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. Looks like uh, I volunteered to post that link and maybe some commentary on our site. Be on the lookout <laughs> for that. Thanks, Cam. That's what I do. So with that, as usual, um, thank you again, panelists, for joining. A lot of things to think about. A lot of things to hopefully discuss with your peers the big thing uh, takeaway for this is if you like this content, if you like hearing it, share it, bring it up with your friends and say, hey, listen to this and let's have a conversation. You know, you may not agree with everything we said, 
but that's okay we just talked about it it's okay not to agree as long as we can talk about why we feel that way or or whatnot so um but with that i'm gonna sign off over here um i have a better conclusion in my head so i'm just gonna edit it in here rents here again do the magic editing powers of ethan wanted to share a few really cool announcements with all of you first matt just did an awesome job of updating the truly universal logo and tuned up our entire urban picks website so take a look at some of that stuff second we are officially dropping merch in the next month or two be on the lookout on our social media platforms on how to order your pins and stickers and third, we're getting close to finalizing our YouTube channel for anyone that prefers YouTube to listen to podcasts or the chance to see occasional exclusive video content. Again, be on the lookout for that release. And finally, if you like what you heard today or any of our other truly universal or famine fed podcasts, please share it with your friends. It really helps. And if you even want to submit your own articles, appear as a guest, or even contribute some ideas, feel free to reach out to us via email, social media, pigeon carrier, whatever you prefer. And as usual, take care, everyone, and God bless. I'm Rince. I'm Kim. And I'm Sean. And this is Truly Universal. Truly Universal is a production of Urban Picks, all things to all. Theme song by Demi Guevara. Audio production by Ethan Coe. And outro song by Chris Kabilis. You can find all of our content on our website, www.urbanpicks.com slash truly universal please like and subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts if you want to contact us send us an email at truly at urbanpicks.com thanks everybody we'll see you next time